lovelies to the Ultimate Dance Business Podcast. My name is Deborah Laws, the dance business expert. My passion is to help you turn your passion into profit while guiding you to work less and earn more. I'm super excited to share interviews with you that I know will inspire and motivate you in your schools, as well as my solo shows where I shall be sharing some great tips and strategies. So if you love the show, please do remember to review, subscribe and share it with your fellow dance boss friends. So let's get stuck into the business of dance. Hey everybody, today I am going to be talking with the wonderful, lovely Leslie Thomas. Now, Leslie is known as the Money Mastery Business Coach. She works with female business owners to help them improve their relationship with money in order to make them more income in their business. Now, I know that we have not always got the best money mindset in the dance industry. We feel like everything should be passion and we don't deserve to have much profit. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Leslie, where she helps to really give us some clarity on what's going on internally when it comes to money. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. I am incredibly thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Fellow podcaster, I don't know, is there a word for that? <laughs> I think it probably is fellow podcaster, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're one step ahead of me because you started your podcast how long ago now? Back in November, the 30th of November, when I launched 10 episodes on that, on that same day. Oh, wow. Quite a few in one go. And it's been going extremely well for you, hasn't it? Oh, do you know, I absolutely love it. And the resistance I had initially to starting it. So back in September, when I had the first conversation about launching the podcast, and then the half term, the October half term, before I started recording the episodes on the 4th of November, hardly slept during half term, because I was so concerned about... What am I going to say? How am I going to sound? Do, do, do. And then once I started it, the usual thing, God, I wish I'd started it sooner. Oh, yeah. well, there's an interesting lesson there straight away then, isn't it? To Absolutely. follow that gut and go with the process before before we allow that fear to kick in. You know, Absolutely. all those, yeah. all those what ifs. Um, that's a whole subject we could talk about right there. <laughs> But um, what I really want all my listeners to to know much more about is exactly what it is you do, because obviously a lot of the people I'm interviewing come from the dance industry. um, And although I know you have treaded a few boards in the past, um, the dance industry isn't your specific industry. And so please share, because folks, I find this topic that we're going to talk about today so utterly fascinating and life-changing. Please tell my listeners what it is that you do. Well, first of all, I have two left feet, I think, when it comes to dancing. So no, dancing and me, we're not natural friends, unfortunately. I do try hard, definitely. But what I do is I help business owners, and at the moment in particular, female business owners, improve their relationship with money. And 
The reason I do that is not just the headline, improving their relationship with money. It's because our relationship with money is so interlinked to our sense of self-value and self-worth. And as a business owner, if our sense of self-value and self-worth is not where it needs to be, the impact that has on our business absolutely it hits our bottom line so we're likely to not you know if our relationship isn't a strong one with money if our sense of self-value and self-belief is not strong we're likely to not but put very firm boundaries in place so allowing clients to to walk all over us to turn up late to appointments still expecting to have the full allotted time to cancel appointments with very little notice to contact us outside of office hours and still expecting an immediate reply, not paying on time and being difficult to chase up. So boundaries is a problem. Um, Not being comfortable having conversations in our business around finances and whether that's putting up prices, whether it's having a discussion about what your prices are, not being visible enough in your business, that's directly linked to your sense of self-value and self-worth. And with so many businesses online these days, if we are not visible in our business, if we are not letting our would-be clients know we are there, knowing what we do, then all we're doing is gifting that would-be person to our nearest competitors. When we have question marks around our self-worth, we're not going to be marketing ourselves in the right way. We're going to be playing very, very small rather than looking at the art of the possible and the opportunity to scale our business effectively, allowing us to make more money and creating that financial freedom, allowing us to choose when to work and how to work. So for me, It's the holistic approach to who we are, our sense of self-belief, and how that has been shaped by our relationship with money, which has happened. It is the money story given to us by our parents when we were children. Mm. So that in quite a big nutshell is what I (laughs) do. And, you know, as you were explaining all of those things, I'm doing a little internal nod because I'm like, yes, that's dance school owners. Yes, that's dance school owners. I can think a lot of them tick that box too, you know, because their their business is such a heart-led business. It's such a passion-led business um, that it's really hard to actually run our schools with a sense of, but we are first and foremost business people. And as soon as we start talking about money, that puts everybody very much in the frame of, oh, no, I'm being all businessy and cold. And it's not about the, it, that, it's about the children and what I give them. And and I spend a lot of my time coaching my clients and my followers and my listeners in the fact that you can have both. <laughs> you can lead your school with a passion and nurture your students and be incredibly, um, you know, personable and be the most fabulous dance teacher in the world and, and <laughs> run it as a successful business and earn good money. And, you know, I know this is an issue for everyone and anyone in life, but I feel like it's, it's a very, very strong issue in my industry. And Maybe I'm wrong in saying, oh, but we're worse. <laughs> I think there's there's a, a pre 
patterned thought process in the dance industry that you're not here to make money, you're here to entertain, you're here to um, deliver a feel-good factor through dance, um, and that's not something that you should be, you know, actively looking to to charge for or to earn money for. And way, way, way back historically, you know, dancers were street entertainers. Dancers were the low life. You know, they went into courts and they danced. They were like the, the court jester. And there was certainly, you know, not highly looked upon. Um, and so I feel like we've got this historical money mindset in our industry that has le- been around for centuries, like literally. Um wow. And so as well as the childhood patterns that you're going to hopefully explain a bit more about in a second, <laughs> I think we also have a, an inbuilt pattern of beliefs in the whole entire industry. So I feel like we're really up against it, us, us dance bosses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it is, it's not just, you know, dance academy owners. It's, you know, it's a service industry in general. You know, that word service, you know, that conjures up, doesn't it? You are serving others. And in serving others, some people do have that disconnect, that service means something you don't value, something you give away, something you don't charge what you should for it. And that is completely wrong because if you don't value what you're doing, how can you expect the person on the other end, the receiving end, to value it? Mm. And when you think about, you know, as a Dance Academy owner, what you are doing for your clients be it the parents or the children themselves, what you're instilling in them are skills that are going to help them be better at life, be more confident, develop good posture, develop a mindset around being able to perform, have the joy of performance. You know, every mum who has a desire to support their children to become you know a dancer and that might just be for pleasure you know not necessarily for for professionally but they see what it invokes in their child they know their child is happy when they have that sense of community when they have that sense of belonging when they can see their gifts being nurtured And, you know, as a parent of two boys who never, ever wanted, unfortunately, to dance, but remembering myself, you know, my mum taking me to my ballet lessons and getting my first tutu and, you know, really, really think this is it. I have arrived now. And my mum being really proud, you know, seeing me perform, etc. There is absolutely a value attached to that without a shadow of a doubt and if the parent is attaching the value why as the the business owner are you pushing back on the value that they are perceiving you are offering so it's this this the disservice you are doing for yourself because the more you value what you do the more you're going to see that value given back to you Mm, that's yeah that's very that's very clear um and you know the fact that I think what you said was that the parents want all of those wonderful things that we're going to give them and 
they're actually really prepared to pay for that. Like parents will will sh- you know will shell out <laughs> if it's going to give their children an amazing experience, and even more so if it's going to help them to grow as little humans, and it's going to be something that will stay with them forever. And I think, like you said, the parents value that. The parents will pay for that, and yet we're the ones that put this this wall in the way that says. Oh, but we can't possibly, you know, charge too much for that. Or we need to have, as you said earlier, you know, really loose boundaries around all of this. And I think, you know, I'm always talking about mindset in business and I'm always telling my lovely ladies and gents and clients, you know, that mindset is pretty much most of what you need to run a successful business. But, you know, it's not just having that positivity and that resilience. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the belief systems that stop our businesses from being truly successful. And money is a really big one. I have um, a course that I run once a year, which is called Pricing Perfection. And it's ultimately, like initially I set it up because a lot of my um, clients wanted to work out how to move to a, a monthly direct direct debit system. And so initially I started it off as, right, I'm just going to do a short training to teach people how to do that. And then I thought, well, actually they're going to need a little bit of help as knowing how to put that across to the parents so that the parents happily buy into that new way because it's a bit different for our industry. Most people pay termly. And then I thought, well, actually, no, there's more to this <laughs> because we need to get the pricing right first. Like if they're going to go to all the effort to change the, all the way the parents pay and get them on board with this, then, you know, let's maybe look at what they're charging. Opportunity, yeah. And, yeah. And then yeah. that led to all the discounts that they give away, you know, all the money that just pours out of their business because they feel like they should give a million and one discounts. And before I knew it, I had a 10 week course. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's absolutely one of the f- most favorite things that I actually kind of sell, if you like, to my clients because the shifts that take place for people. Yeah. And, your training, you came and did the most fabulous training in my community, probably about a year year ago now, coming up for a year. That, yeah. yeah. And I actually include this as one of the bonuses. And people say to me every time I do this course, wow, Leslie's training just really made me sit back and think, like really yeah. made me reevaluate. Yeah. So tell us, Leslie, a bit about our money mindset and where it really starts? Where do we get our thoughts around money from? Yeah, well, it largely happens between, would you believe, the ages of zero and seven. Mm -hmm. And it happens as a result of our parents' relationship with money and how we see that relationship developing with our parents. And it's about what our parents are saying about money And it's what they're saying about people who do or don't have money. And we are picking up on those messages without even necessarily realizing it at the time. But we carry that money story that belongs to our parents and probably belongs to their parents. We take it through with us into adulthood and we stop believing in Father Christmas, we stop believing in the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny and Ken and Barbie living happily ever after in Miami. All of that is left in our childhood. But we still carry on with the money story that our parents gave us 
that is no longer relevant to the situation that we are in as adults. And it's only when we sit down and start to analyze what are our thoughts and feelings about money. And to simply ask yourself the question, you know, when I think about money, what comes up for me? What do I feel? When I have those thoughts about money, what does money actually mean to me? And very often it's something that people don't want to really think about. They don't, you know, I say to my clients, check your bank account daily. And a lot of them, what? I can't check it daily. I don't want to see that number. Well, first of all, that number won't change if you don't look at it. But actually, if you do look at it and you view that number as information and information on which you can take action, then you can change that number. And that behavior with regards to not wanting to look at numbers has come from their parents. They've picked up on that and they've taken that through with them. Another thing that plays into our relationship with money, and I know I've spoken to you about this before, is our money archetypes. So there are eight money archetypes in total, and our relationship with money is dictated by our three, oh, our personal three money archetypes. Mm-hmm. And depending on what that makeup of those archetypes is, that is when we really can have challenges with ourselves in that relationship with money. So I'll give you two extreme examples. So a celebrity archetype is somebody who is very, very charismatic, loves to be seen to be successful, really looks the part, flash watch, beautifully groomed, top of the range car, always changing up for the latest iPhone, et cetera, et cetera. People look at that person and think, wow, they've got it sorted. Look how successful they are. What they don't know is that lifestyle is being funded by debt, credit card, overdraft, et cetera, because their business is not as successful as they want people to perceive it to be. They could also have an accumulator archetype amongst their top three. Accumulator, as the name suggests, loves to save money, loves to save for that rainy day that there's never going to be enough rain for them to feel comfortable spending that money. They want that money to be there just in case. Can you imagine having a celebrity archetype where you want to be seen to be successful, but you haven't got the money, but you've got the accumulator archetype going on that any money you do get, actually, you want to be saving. Mm. Once you actually know what your money archetypes are, that is when you're able to make an intentional decision. Your money archetypes are like You are the chairperson of the board. Your money archetypes are your board directors. When you know the characteristics, the strengths, the gifts, the challenges of your board directors, you can then lean into the relevant director according to the board, according to the decision that you need to make. So you're no longer making a decision based on, well, that's just how I am. I've always been like that about money. Instead, the red flag goes up, uh, uh, I'm about to make a bad decision. I need to lean away from that archetype and I need to lean into that archetype to make a better decision. Now, what is not known about the archetypes is, are they nature or are they nurture? So were you born with those top three archetypes or did they develop 
through childhood. But whatever the answer is, they go hand in hand with the experience that you have picked up on as a result of how your parents were around me. Absolutely fascinating because listening to you talk about those two money archetypes, presumably if you're a celebrity and an accumulator, there's a real turmoil around money because it's a push-pull thing that's going on. And um, I'm guessing those people will have money problems throughout their life until they get to really realise what's going on for them with their money story. Absolutely. Well, I have one client and I have I have many clients who actually have both of those. But one client in particular comes to mind. She has never, ever had an issue with money because her accumulator archetype is, is so high in her top three. But she reckons so she loves to save, but she recognizes that she also loves to have really, really nice things and be seen to be successful. But because her accumulator archetype is so high, she almost has already had that conversation with herself that says, I need to have this latest Gucci handbag. I'm not, and this this is a trick that she employs. She does not allow her bank balance to go below a certain level. Right. If her bank balance is above that certain level, she'll then have the conversation with herself. Okay, latest Gucci handbag, this costs this much. I have that much in my bank account. Okay. I need to work out how to bring in a little bit more money so I can then go and buy my Gucci handbag. So she's having that almost negotiation with herself that keeps herself on a fairly even keel and keeps her safe because she says when her income drops when when the balance in her bank account drops below a certain level she then starts to have sleepless nights she starts to have real concerns about her income so she's worked out a way to make it work for her and that is why it's a little bit like you know going on a diet and recognizing there's no point in me having any chocolate in the house because I can't just eat a square. I have to eat a whole bar. So the way I deal with it, I don't have chocolate in the house. And it's exactly the same. When you know your money archetypes, when you know, you really know what you are like, you stop the that's just me behavior going instead and intentionally deciding how to be. And taking control, isn't it? But it's difficult to take control when you don't understand what's going on initially in the first place. So how does somebody find out their money archetypes? Well, that's very easy these days. I now have, and I wasn't leading to this, but I have a free assessment. Ah. Um, So if I will give it to you to put in the show notes, basically, and um, they will go to a link, they'll go through a lot of questions. It's about 60 questions, but it only takes seven or eight minutes or so. Um, And then at the end of that, they literally get their results. So they will be able to see what their top three archetypes are, the relative gifts, strengths, characteristics um, and challenges, and then be able to really figure out for themselves the changes they need to make or contact me and of course I can provide coaching but that is a real self-help tool because I genuinely believe everybody as a matter of course should know their money archetypes because once you know what you're like 
you can do something about it. If you know on a Friday night, you know, that third glass of wine is going to send you over the edge and you're going to have a hangover the next day, you know to stop at the second glass. It's exactly the same with your money archetype. Once you know what's going on for you in your relationship with money, that puts you in charge, that empowers you. And from then on in, you can take intentional action to create the results you want to see. Yeah. And when you can see you doing you, you know, it's it's almost like an out-of-body experience where you can go, oh, now hang on. Now that I know these things about myself, I can see why I was instantly going to jump in and do that with money when actually I now can, hey, hang on, step back, think about this and behave and act differently. And you did this for me um, uh, a little while ago now. And it's, it's listeners, it's very bizarre. Like, I feel like Leslie was in my head. <laughs> When she was talking through everything, I was like, how do you know these things? Just by asking me a few questions, you know, literally pinpointed exactly how I am with money. And the thing is, some people have do have a lot of stuff to sort out around money. Some people actually only need to tweak behaviors, don't they? But sometimes those little tweaks or just knowing, like I said, being able to recognize yourself, um, I think can, you know, still be a big shift, especially when you run a business. Absolutely. It could be a massive shift because all of a sudden you put yourself in a position where you understand yourself and you can forgive yourself for certain traits that you've not been happy with, but you feel you've been stuck with. Once you actually understand that, you can actually make those decisions that support where you want to be heading rather than seeing them as blocks that you're never, ever going to be able to overcome. And, you know, I, I worked with a, with a couple last year and I wasn't comfortable working with them because as I said, I'm not a marriage guidance counsellor. You know, things can come up here that, you know, could be unsettling for both of you. But actually, as a result of them both understanding their money archetypes, they now can have conversations based on this is what I want to do, but I know how you're going to react. So what I'm going to do is this to make sure you're comfortable, but equally make sure that I can move forward in the way that I want to as well. So it creates that informed space rather than one of scarcity or abundance, because there is no ideal archetype to have or set of archetypes to have at all. They're all as good as the other just different things will come up. But once you know what they are, you can utilize the strengths and the gifts of all of them whilst leaning back and away from the challenges that will come up. And once you recognize that challenge is coming up, it's like a trigger. We've, oh, hang on. I know what's going on here. I ah, got it. Got there before I did it. And I think that's the thing. You become you become much more aware of uh, yeah. exactly what previously you would have just done and put it down to, that's just the way I am. Instead, it makes you sit back, reflect, and then take action. And that's a much more empowered position to be. It's no longer a knee-jerk reaction. It's a, a ten, an intentional action. 
Yeah. And the thing is, you say you're not a relationship coach, and I understand that you're not, but a lot of relationship issues actually are around money, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, if there's a top four things, the reason for for breakups or divorce, money is definitely up there, I'm assuming, with as yeah. one of those. And so to understand each other's money archetypes and money mindset, I'm sure would actually, for some people, make huge differences in their relationship. Massive, massive. And again, that is why I am an advocate of everybody knowing their money archetypes. You know, when I first went to study this, you know, I, I kind of thought, oh, this is going to be a bit woo. You know, I don't, I don't know if I really like this. But actually, it's not. It's formed on such a solid body of work and research. And everybody, and I have taken hundreds of people through this now, and not one person who I've gone on to have a one-to-one with hasn't said to me, I honestly felt you must have had a video camera yeah, in like the room. I just said, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly it because it is so insightful and it actually gives you a wake-up call as well because some there'll be some traits where you kind of go, oh, no, that, that, that's not me, when actually it is you. It puts a mirror up to you so you can really see what's going on for you. And also it lets your subconscious know that you now know the secret's out. I now know why I'm yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then you can do something about it. And there's not one person I know who hasn't been wowed by the results, but those who have gone on to act on the results and create that intentional action, they have seriously, seriously benefited, not just financially, but in terms of their own growth, their business growth, because everything is done from a position of knowledge rather than just putting it down to that's how I am. Mm. And self-esteem, self, like you said at the beginning, self-worth, it's all those things. And that affects yes. every area of our life, doesn't it? Um, every area. I'm really interested to, to hear your thoughts. And this probably is maybe a little bit woo. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Um, but one of the things that I learned about my own money story um, linked to my parents is that, you know, they were incredibly sensible around money. So money was always, you know, they were the brown paper envelope um, era <laughs> where you took your wages and you put a little bit in this envelope for your fuel bill and a little bit for f- housekeeping. And there was a, always a bit of for savings. And I remember them sitting around the dining room table once a month with this what looked to me like a huge wad of money clearly wasn't but (laughs) and separating it it into envelopes and so because of this we never had any money financial worries or issues it was always everything was taken care of everything was very sensible but what my own parents money archetype was was like once we've taken care of that we can spend everything that's left and so they were always we always had the the next loan that they were already paying off everything was on loan everything was on hp or on lease or and they always knew they could afford it just yeah. so we actually didn't really have any money any spare money because if there was any spare they were already they'd already spent it and so that's kind of what i grew up with so i am very sensible with money i have i don't have brown envelopes but i have a million and one bank accounts <laughs> don't tell my bank manager um and you know it's all put in safe little places. Now, the thing is, what I have experienced and what I'm trying to learn about myself currently is I have kind of got to a stage where I think in my business, I've earned 
a, I'm, I'm at a certain level of income. And in my brain, I've now gone, I've got enough. There's enough to fill all those brown envelopes. Yeah. There's enough to have the little extra treats in life. But I'm so used to there not being anything else left over that it's almost like I've capped it. And I don't know, I'm doing it. I'm certainly not trying to, (laughs) but I've got to the stage where it's like, oh, now I feel like, like I experienced this wonderful growth and now it feels like it's just kind of just staying very very similar. It's on pause. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, am I now projecting out to the universe? You don't need to give me any more because I'm, I'm fine. I've got what I need. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love this. <laughs> my favourite book, and it is literally my favourite book, is called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And in that book, Gay talks about our upper limit. Yeah. And we all have an upper limit, and that can relate to whole whole set of different things, but in particular, the amount of money that we feel we can be calling in. And some people will call it, you know, a glass ceiling, you know, a, a revenue glass ceiling. But but Gay described it so perfectly that it was one of those. So I was going out on a walk one day and uh, I love going walking with my headphones in, listening to something, learning, basically. And I'd come to the end of the book that I was reading. I was literally one to go on my walk. I had a certain amount of time quick on to Audible, what can I read? And Audible presented me with this, you know, recommended reading, The Big Leap. And it was a goldfish bowl with a, with a, a goldfish leaping out. I thought, oh, that looks okay. I'll, I'll read that. Knowing, knowing nothing about it, that book has changed my life wow. because we do exactly that. We believe we are worthy of a particular set limit an upper limit and usually with the way with money it works is who am I to ask for more who am I to need more than I have I can cover my bills I have a nice nice lifestyle there are people out there far worse than me I really should not be expecting more and Gay gives lots of examples. They're all American examples because he is an American author. And he he talks about lottery winners um, in America. 60% of people who win the lottery in America either end up back at where they were financially or worse off because they're just trying to get rid of that money because they're just not comfortable with it. Um, Bill Clinton, when he was 11, did a, a tour of the White House. And he said, I'm going to be... Um, an American president. He became American president, voted in, you know, with with a big majority. What happened? He went on to have a relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Everybody turned against him. He didn't go back in for a second term. Gay described it. He reached his upper limit. I'm president. I've made it. I'm going to ruin it, basically. Not, you know, not doing it actively, but the, the upper limit had kicked in. It's a um, self-sabotage, isn't it? Self-sabotage. And that, and, and that is that, that is exactly it. And he gives lots and lots and lots of those examples. And we do it because we are scared. We're scared of what it's going to take to move to that next level. I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to spend time away from my family. I'm going to have to do things I'm really, really not comfortable doing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, that's enough. 
That's good enough. So your subconscious is doing all that work for you of keeping you where you're at by telling you the stories that you may not even be aware it's telling you that you have to work hard or you have to spend time. And none of those things are necessarily true at all. You don't work have to work harder to make more money. You just have to look at how you're working and change it accordingly. But we all get to that point, and it's only when we sit back and we examine what, why, why, why am I at that level? Why have I not been able to push through to the next level? What? And this is a good one. So, what, what limiting decision? have I made as a result? So I very often say to my clients, it's not the limiting belief you need to be concerned about. Because with limiting beliefs, you can feel the fear and do it anyway. It's the limiting decision that you've taken as a result of that limiting belief or limiting beliefs. That is what you need to examine. Because for all of us, as long as something's been done before, and largely everything that we want to do, you know, get six figures, become a millionaire, get seven figures, get eight, it's all been done before. So we can go and find the evidence. If we can find the evidence it's possible, then our subconscious will help us to find a way to make take the action to make it possible for us. So an example I always use is Roger Bannister running the first four-minute mile. How many people ran a four-minute mile before him? None. How many people ran it after him? Many, many, many people, because he showed the art of the possible. So for all of us, it is about creating that art of the possible going to find the evidence it is possible. There will always be a pioneer. There'll always be somebody who does it first, but they tend to have that mindset that cannot be generalized in any way. But the majority of us, as long as we can create the evidence, it has been done before, then the only thing stopping us from achieving it, from achieving it is that upper limit and us not finding a way to break through. Once we find a way to break through, we will then get to another limit. And then the work starts again, and the next limit and the work starts again. So it's absolutely up to us where we take that limit to. But the majority of people will experience it, but not realize it. And it's all down to our subconscious, really allowing us to be held exactly where we are. Wow. Wow. It's really powerful stuff, Leslie. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, my dance school owners and I'm thinking about the the size of their scores and what they would love to have compared to what they have got and how for some people in their eyes, it's so easy for other people. And yet I find it so hard to build my school and to have the large school that I dream of. And, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because the person who's got 650 students in her school is not necessarily any more special or any more clever than the person that's got 65 but clearly our upper limit beliefs have got in the way of some people and not in the way of others or that that ceiling you know is a lot higher for some people and therefore they can experience that growth while others um you know are really stopping their own growth without even realizing it and and so I think you know for my listeners you know thinking about 
what your dream business looks like and where you would love your school to be compared to where it is currently now, I think today's podcast has potentially been really thought provoking. You know, is there something, do we have, have you created a, a really low ceiling for yourself in what you believe you can achieve? And are, is there a money story going way back, whether it's your parents, well, it will be partly parents, but also, you know, what you've inherited from the dance school that you grew up in and the dance principal that was your principal and the industry in general. Have you inherited all those deep rooted beliefs that say, no, 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 you can't, you can't be a really loving, caring teacher and drive around in a sports car. Like the two things don't go together. And I think altogether, that's a lot of powerful stuff to have to break through, isn't it? It is. It's a huge amount of powerful stuff. But, you know, a very simple exercise, you know, I give to my clients, and it's really simple, but hugely, hugely effective is, where are you? Take the shackles off. Where do you want to go to? And what are the gaps in the middle? And once you start to understand what those gaps are in the middle and write them down, because very often we keep things in our head, actually write things down. Think about your biggest, boldest goal that you can achieve and then go out and have a look at the evidence that somebody's achieved that. And I can't remember her name now. Um, Debbie something, Pineapple Studios. Debbie Moore. (laughs) How wealthy is that lady? Yeah. And she comes, you know, she ran dance academies. And I know she added other lines, but that's the whole point. There is, and you will know from the work that you do, there is plenty of evidence out there that it is possible. And very often it's nothing to do with the person being brighter or having any better ability. It literally, literally comes down to, Mindset. Mindset. 20% strategy, 80% mindset. And that is the difference between creating that massive, impactful success that you want to have and you know you can have. Because we all have that gut reaction. We all know when we should do something. And it's whether or not we act on that intuition or we make the excuses not to do so and when you've made the excuses that is when really you've got that little voice in your head with regret Mm -hmm. and I think that is something I never want anybody to live with because we don't have to live with regret we choose intentionally and we might not realize it but we do we choose intentionally to live with regret when we're not taking intentional action And by taking intentional action, that is when you really can push past your upper limit because the the evidence is there. It is possible. You're not being asked to be the first person to run the four-minute mile. You can look up at people who have gone before you and just say, they can do it. There is no reason I can't either, and I'm going to make it happen. It's that real self-belief that mindset shift and then anything the world's your oyster genuinely genuinely is yeah yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent with you on that and in fact just in front of my little haven here I've got a plaque on the wall outside above my door that says she believed she could so she did and it really is just that self-belief isn't it allowing yourself allowing yourself to have that self-belief Oh, and so, yeah, I, I just want to point to the screen figure. I think you're off the wall. Because this is one of my favourite phrases, actually. Is it going to translate on there? No, it's not. So, what if I fall, but my darling, 
what if you fly? What if you fly, yeah. And I think, yeah, that just says it all, doesn't it? I'll leave yeah, that there. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure you've inspired lots of people today to really go away and take themselves on a walk and think about their own childhood and think about what their money story is and maybe, you know, a little bit be inspired to come and do your architect um, quiz and find out, you know, what it is that may be helping them in life, what might be hindering them in life, you know, and maybe just start that little journey towards realizing that, you know, the world is your oyster. You can create anything that you want, but you've got to have the tools. You've got to know how. That's where people like you and I come in to mentor and coach, but you've got to have above and beyond everything else, the self-belief. And, you know, that's just been hugely fascinating um, chatting to you today. I'm very, very grateful that you've given up that time for my dance school owners and my listeners. Um, As I said, could continue talking for hours. Do go and check out Leslie and everything that she does because she really does change lives. And, um, you know, if there's anything that resonates for you or you want to learn more, then check out the show notes where you can find how you can um, link up with Leslie and um, all the amazing things that she's doing and that she's got coming up and go and listen to her podcast because if you've enjoyed this last um, episode, then, you know, you there's lots more of Leslie that you can, you can go and access. Thank, Thank you. you so much, my love. Thank you very much. I've loved talking to you. Thanks, Deborah. Bye-bye. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Ultimate Dance Business Podcast. Of course, you can come and find me in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. But the real magic happens within my membership, Sparks ignite or illuminate there's one for each one of you depending on your level of investment time and motivation so check out the website dancebusinesslab.com click on work with me and let's see if we can really start to make a difference Are you looking to get precious time back in your life so you can make more time doing the things you love? DanceBiz is a class management and booking software from the lovely folk at Think Smart that will automate and streamline all your dance school admin. It's the perfect tool for all those tasks that just seem to take so long and will help you to work smarter, not harder. Message me today, folks, and I can give you a code so you can get two months free.